The thing is that the real world doesn't work that way. The real world's not symmetrical with an equal number of starters and an equal number of finishers. The, the model that I use is called a Gompertz curve and a Gompertz curve works like um, viral and bacterial growth. Because of COVID, everyone is intimate now with viral spread, even if they don't mm -hmm. do the math, everyone has seen some of those charts where it's like, well, there's two cases. Now there's 12 cases. Now there's 50 cases. Now there's 500 cases. And that's day after day after day. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Arcos Global Advisors or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating Bitcoin's Noise, I'm joined by Timothy Peterson of Kane Island Research to discuss the power and importance of network effects in cryptocurrencies. As the economy has transitioned to a digitized world driven by math, Metcalf's Law has become a very important component of financial modeling and understanding its relationship to investor psychology. Tim has spent years understanding and researching Metcalf's work and how it applies to Bitcoin, markets, and money. If you're looking to better understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. Here's what I learned in this whole process. Bitcoin is a weird investment. I mean, mm -hmm. there are lots of quirks to it, and most of them center around the fact that production is metered. Okay? Right. Right, that you can only process a certain number of transactions every 10 minutes, and that creates all kinds of problems that manifest in price. Okay, because imagine if you could only buy certain loaves of bread every 10 minutes. If you did this at the grocery store, well, everybody knows that the grocery store, right, there are certain days when people go shopping, it's close to payday or right after payday or near the weekends. Imagine you could only buy a certain number of loaves of bread uh, or milk or whatever else you needed regardless of the time of day, right? And then if you wanted it, you would have to bid. So you would just start, you would see this at the grocery store, you start bidding up the price so you can get bread and milk for your kids because you needed it. Um, and when that happens with Bitcoin, because it does happen, um, then people see the price going up and that exacerbates demand and, even more. And that's and, where you get some of these like 2017 and, and 19 and um, the 2021 spikes where all this exacerbated demand and the fact that supply does not adjust for demand. And so you get these huge spikes. When that demand is satisfied, you get a crash. But that's where it gets it back to what people realize, like for the people out there, well, I just don't understand this Bitcoin thing. I'm not a developer. I'm not a programmer. I don't pay attention to the internet other than looking at news. That property and that function is critical to that base layer and where, in my opinion, it relates to gold because gold has that same issue. And that was the issue in the depression. You couldn't get enough gold around the world fast enough. And the people that had it said, we're not moving it. And so it just log jammed the world. So you had to have this second layer, US dollars, and it had to be agreed upon by the rest of the world, Bretton Woods, to move money around so the world wouldn't just stop. And so... You know, a lot of this, it's new, but it's not because it's the same problems that man has has worked with in regards to money for 5,000 years. Well, a couple of questions that I do want to hit on, hopefully we can hit on, um, the Gumpert's sigmoid growth function. As you explain it, it shows up in biological organisms, tumors, viruses, the way things inherently 
work and grow and, and develop and morph in nature, which reminds me of kind of the golden ratio being baked into everything. And then I want to stress the importance for individuals to understand that the Bitcoin network or whatever network wins or multitudes of network wins, like how important it is to understand that these networks are very similar to internet, how that network was adopted and grew and how the telephone systems were adopted and grew and how they work to allow communication to exist. I mean, to an extent, Facebook did the same thing and, and it was just a new means to, to build around a user base that could connect with each other in new ways. And then lastly, um, you know, Ripple has a huge following and, and that's kind of the end all be all in their minds, not to say one's better or worse than the other, but if Ripple spent their time getting banks on board and getting banks to use it, does one day value accrue in that network more so than others, because people inherently would rather just go to the store and swipe and spend more so than do a lot of the self-custody. I mean, I think a lot of that's changing, but those three things are, are kind of big points. Hopefully you can shed some light on. Well, let's go back to the growth curves. Okay. So every technology goes through a period where it grows like an S curve. So there's a few people that get in early and, and forget about Bitcoin again, think about automobiles or telephones or something like that. And, and it sort of plods along for a couple of years and then it catches on and it grows very, very quickly until everyone's got it or everyone that wants it has got it. And so it starts out low, it goes up and then it levels off and that's the S curve. Okay. Now in mathematical modeling, there's two different kinds of an S curve. There's an S curve called a logistic curve. Um, and a logistic curve is um, a smooth, even symmetrical shape. Okay. It means there's an equal number of early adopters and there's an equal number of late adopters. And there's this nice round shape in the middle, like and it looks just like a bell curve. So that um, when it grows, it grows at a uniform rate. And, you know, that's the ideal model in terms of, of math. Okay. The thing is that the real world doesn't work that way. The real world's not symmetrical with an equal number of starters and an equal number of finishers. Um, so the, the model that I use is called a Gompertz curve and a Gompertz curve works like um, viral and bacterial growth. Now, fortunately, because of COVID, everyone is intimate now with viral spread. Even if they don't mm -hmm. do the math, everyone has seen some of those charts where it's like, well, there's two cases. Now there's 12 cases. Now there's 50 cases. Now there's 500 cases. And that's day after day after day. Okay, and then it goes up and up and up and then it levels off and those cases, those daily case rates come down because everyone's got COVID, right? I mean, eventually that's diminishing marginal returns. It, it, it levels off. Mm -hmm. and the difference between a Gompertz curve and a logistic curve is that the Gompertz curve, there's a slightly more people that get in early. Okay, so it spreads a little bit quicker on the front end and a little bit slower on the back end. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't really mean a lot, but when I was doing my math, my valuation math, it turns out that Gompertz is a little bit more accurate because it's the way the world really works. Okay, it's the way Facebook spreads. It's the way that people adopt television sets. Uh, and, and I mean, that's why it's used. There's nothing particularly special about it um, other than it's a model of the way the world really works. Perfect, and that that's good, good insight. I mean, that, that was 
kind of what I got out of the brief summaries that I read out of your works, and I had not heard of it before, but other than uh, what I referenced, the golden ratio, which is very similar. Um, and you can use factors of that in the, in the financial markets to project out on charts and stuff. But um, yeah, so what about, um, you kind of touched on that, some of the, how the Bitcoin network is like the internet, which is like telephone systems and the value of other systems. If, if there's one takeaway that people should kind of take from this, would that be maybe the most important, just understanding the inherent value when more than two people get in a network and that compounding that it creates? Well, so the problem, Bitcoin's better in some ways than the telephone and it's worse in some ways, okay, for, from a modeling standpoint, from an adoption standpoint. The, the thing is with a telephone, or even with Facebook, you can see right away what you're getting, right? When I get a telephone, I pick up and I can talk to somebody across the country or across the world. The value is, is obvious to me, right? When I'm chatting on Facebook and I'm able to send stuff to friends or the world, literally the world, the value is obvious to me. If I buy Bitcoin, that value is not obvious. It's an intangible, mm -hmm. okay? You're buying a, a, a thing, a stand-in for money um, so that somebody can transact between some other people at some other future time. And, and, and that value is not obvious to anybody, okay? Uh, there are people who think that the bank holds their cash, right? They put the deposits in there and then it goes in the vault and the money sits in the vault. And that's really not the way banking works. The money is always just on a computer. Uh, uh, just as a side story, my wife went in to make a withdrawal at Chase Bank last month. She needed $200 from her account. She needed uh, like, I don't know, 10 10s and 520s. And she got in there and said, well, we don't have the cash for that. You need to call ahead. I'm like, $200 in 10s right. and 20s? You don't have it? Yep. This, is, this requires manager approval? It was ridiculous, okay? <laughs> That's the way banking is today. The money's all electronic. The cash is you know, just there for, for a few people. It's just a visual effect of, of but, creating that feeling. There's there's a psychological factor because when we grew up as cavemen and women and physical things were important, food, shelter, clothing, fire, right, weapons, all those are things that you need to be able to hold in your hand. And we still in, innately value physical things, okay, or mm -hmm. things that we can touch. Bitcoin is none of that, okay? It's just a physical, it's, it's abstract. It exists as electrons somewhere and you never truly see it. So putting your money, which people still sense as a physical thing, right? They still think of their, their dollars and, and pounds and yen as something that they hold. Exchanging that for electrons, just it doesn't sit well with a human being. So that valuation proposition is a lot different for Bitcoin than it is for a telephone. Now, the good thing is every Bitcoin is the same, okay? So a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin, just like gold is gold is gold, okay? So that makes the transaction very homogenous, so it's, it's the same. Um, it's what's, what creates what's called fungibility, which is exchangeable on the basis of sameness. And you don't get that with telephones. You don't get that with Facebook. Every transaction is unique. You, and, and again, people will, will lash out at Metcalf's law. They think that it requires that every transaction be the same size. Well, that's ridiculous. It, it requires no such thing. It's packets. Um, that's, a, that's a perversion of, of the debunked Alisco um, 
critique, which is you know already false. Um, certainly, telephone networks don't have equal transactions. Every conversation is different, different length, different uh, value of of information being transmitted. So the fact that you can get much more similarity in Bitcoin means Metcalfe's law applies even more. But the problem is, as I mentioned before, the problem is that supply limitation really messes with the price. I mean, it really mm. screws it up a lot. And where I was going there too, is just in broad strokes, the ability to create a network, uh, the, the underlying thesis of how, how those things structurally work and how people join or leave or people connect in ways that they couldn't connect before. Those three networks and to replace Bitcoin with crypto, any crypto that has a network of users. We're just in, we've, we've seen the internet network be built out. We've seen telephone systems be built out. I'm sure they were confusing for people in the 40s and 50s. The telephone system became a mobile system. Uh, I think I was mid 90s, late 90s. I got one. You could barely use it. I think I had 90 minutes on my first cell phone. And so there was that limitation. And then people figured out ways to make it better, cheaper. But the, but the inherent like, hey, we've seen this before. So don't let this Bitcoin crypto thing confuse you. Uh, to me, it just seems like the way you laid it out with telephone systems and, and a brief uh, summary of that and the same with the road networks. It's like we've seen this stuff before it feels a little bit easier to see the value that should come in five or 10 years, assuming that there's no government shutdown of a bunch of these. But I think Napster taught us that. Well, the, the thing with networks is that um, successful networks only get bigger and you join it. You join a network because you want to join it, but then you can't leave even if you want to leave. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a, a really good example of this is, is modern banking. Okay, people, you, you get into banking as imagine that you're, you know, 18 or 20 and you are starting out in life and, and you start because, hey, I need a bank account because it's going to enable me to do things, right? It's something I want to have. I want to be able to get loans and I want to be able to, to get access to money wherever I go. And you're joining that bank's network. Yes. And, and now I'm in that network, right? And I can't get out of it because it's a part of my life. Try, try leaving the banks. I mean, mm -hmm. truly doing something with no banking access whatsoever. Okay. I, I, I dare you, right? You, you can use Bitcoin all you want. You will not be, you can't go get a mortgage and pay your car uh, without accessing the bank network. Okay. So mm -hmm. Bitcoin hasn't solved that problem yet. And maybe it, maybe it won't. Um, you mentioned that these are things that we've seen before that the, the good thing is that you know, kids in fifth grade today, right? Bitcoin is like just a normal thing for them. Right? Mm -hmm. It is not a new technology at all. It's something they're going to grow up with. By the time that they're 30, um, the archaic system is going to be what we grew up with, which was debit cards and, and, and banking in the traditional sense. And private keys won't be an issue. So that's the hardest challenge for a lot of people's digital wallets and private keys is like, well, you set up accounts at a custodian all the time. So that's your wallet. But, you know, just looking at the rise of two-factor authentication, the first time you saw it eight years ago or whenever it was, 10 years ago, five years ago, it was difficult. Wait, I've got to jump through all these hoops to send this code to this other thing that's going to allow me to access and confirm my path. I don't get it. Right. And so, like you said, the, today's fifth grader, when they start doing it in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and by the time they get 18 and they need to be a part of a monetary network, it's just going to be second nature because they're already going to have done it. 
that said, and excuse my French, but the user interface to Bitcoin just sucks. I it's mean, bad. It's and I can't believe nobody has come along with with something better. A, a, a few kind of have. The ones that have, they still go through the the main net, right? They're, you're still waiting ten or twenty minutes for your yeah. process. Look, Lightning Network and and things like it. Um, that tr what they call the transaction layer, which is going to speed up mm -hmm. the processing. That's all good. Anything that brings in people to the network that makes it easier is going to add value to the network. So, so that was one thing we passed a little bit earlier and in regards to Metcalf's law, and we don't have to go deep, but does that help or hurt? I mean, you're bringing on more users, but in a lot of ways, you're just double counting. Uh, so it appears that there, or do you view the two networks separately? And then do some math to say, well, the combined value, but then you're kind of still double counting. No, no, um, they're, they're separate networks. They're not okay. interchangeable um, networks in, in the way that I look at it. You, you could look at the entire cryptocurrency ecosystem and, and there's Metcalf's law in that as well. Right. Um, it, it's, it's not as neat as what you would like. Uh, but you have a lot more scams and maybe that distorts the neatness of Metcalf's law. Thing, if right? You can look at you can look at the number of coins on coin market cap and i've done this i went back to 2013 or whenever it launched and i counted how many coins are there and then you apply metcalf's law n squared and does that equate to the market cap right and remember i'm not mm -hmm. adding up i'm not adding up the market caps i'm multiplying number of users or right coins right so if there's 90 coins then 90 times 89 divided by two it should be proportional to the market cap at that time and it kind of is, except there's this huge drop off as you get bigger from diminishing marginal returns. What does that mean? How much value, we're at, we're at 18,000, 20,000 coins right now. How much value does the 20,000 and first coin add to the ecosystem? Yes. Well, none probably, right? I mean, it, anything that's worth being done is already being done somewhere in those 20,000 coins. So even if we add more to it, you're just adding garbage on top of, of garbage. That's too where there is truth and that 90% of these coins will be dead because they don't, there's just a lot of copycats that some new layer one, layer two, layer three network comes out with this value proposition that's real and legit. Well, every other coin that's sort of like it now adds that feature because it's on GitHub or some kid in this basement is like, well, I like that. I'm going to do the same thing, call it something more catchy and and not really do anything else so so all the you know scam coins go away yeah and most of those um altcoins they take their valuation cues from bitcoin so the market in bitcoin moves or maybe ethereum correct um and and the the price of these other coins moves accordingly they have no value in and of themselves as this is a psychology of investing uh, people are just taking that value from something that they observe that does have value but the real value is zero. Okay. And I make that point a lot when talking to people is like, you can save yourself a lot. Look, all this stuff is cool and fascinating and the innovation is awesome. It's fun to follow. But if you really want to save yourself the headache and you really want to save brain power, just watch Bitcoin and Ethereum. And they're even still paired. But what happens in the Bitcoin network shows up in all these other coins once they get this just massive VC exit ramp. Or, or early adoption period, you can make a ton of money, but ultimately the cycles are very clear and visual that the other tokens are just a derivative of Bitcoin. And it makes sense if you think about it, because 
without Bitcoin, none of these networks would exist. And, and they move together. Altcoins move like Bitcoin in the short term, but look at the long term. Okay, look at Bitcoin market cap and look at BCH, Bitcoin cash market cap. Look at BSV market cap. Look at my Litecoin market cap. Mm -hmm. These so-called better coins, right? B Bitcoin cash came out and Litecoin cash came out or Litecoin came out because people perceived wrongly that transaction speed was important mm -hmm. to value. And you know what? It's not. Size matters. Size matters right. about transactions. And look at what happens to Bitcoin's market cap versus all these others that were going to be so much better because they were faster. They've gone nowhere. Nowhere. Litecoin's gone nowhere for years. Correct. ETH is dying. BSV is dying. Um, th they're going to get left in the dust because people weren't looking for a better way to spend money. I could spend money electronically already. Spending money is not value. Like there's 10, if, if, if you're in a developed world right now, today, I can find you 10 other options that are better, faster, and cheaper than any of these networks of to, to buy something. Bitcoin's horrible at, at right. the money spend problem. And right. but it's the one that has the most value because A, I can exchange it with so many other people and liquidity is immensely important. It's why we build cities. It's why we build marketplaces. It's why we build exchanges. But without liquidity, you can't do anything, right? You're stuck with what you've got. Right. Um, so li liquidity is, is incredibly valuable. And Bitcoin is the most liquid of all of these. And just like any other market, whether it's Nikes or clothing or whatever that we've seen for hundreds of years in business models, it's brand. And like it or not, Bitcoin has brand that these other coins without Bitcoin dying won't get. And, and in my mind, there was a lot of hoopla over the 2017 fork wars, but it, it's kind of funny because in this quote unquote decentralized world, you had this largest argument in history that almost de derailed the whole thing. And when it boils down to it, they were arguing over who gets to own the naming rights to Bitcoin. That's in simple terms. It was just human greed last point that what you just talked about kind of hits on my ripple question okay so you can do more transaction per second than anybody not valuable not in terms of store of value speed of transaction rate of transaction number of transaction does not store value it allows things to go from point a to point b it allows more of what we already see is wrong in the economic system today the i need to spend to be happy but when you store value and produce today knowing that there will be future value that's equal to or greater than what you did today, that creates a level of happiness that spending does not. But the one question, if you look at it from a Metcalf perspective, and if some network, and I'm just going to use Ripple as an example, but you can insert name, like it doesn't matter, has created relationships for the last five years, six years with all of the banks and the banks know they have a problem within the financial system and the piping of it. Uh, if they've created a network that allows the banks to do what they were doing plus some more with peer through, push pull, more levers, then does that inherently give them a greater value or are they still just sort of stuck because their value proposition is transaction? Well, I, I don't look at, at Ripple as a competitor to Bitcoin necessarily. Okay. Good. I, I we agree. Some people, some people, will, <laughs> we agree. Um, some people will say, well, Bitcoin is for retail and transaction and, and right. Ripple is for international. And, all, and that's not really what Ripple's trying to do. Okay. Ripple is trying to replace Swift. Correct. Uh, 
and and what the swift system is so just so people know it's it's a it's an organization that facilitates the transfer of money between banks yep and they don't even move the money themselves what they do is they just send messages yep. hey bank a bank b would like to transfer some money to you bank b says yes i will move the account from bank a's account into my account and they would do the same on the other side and that process takes up to three or four or five days okay mm -hmm. it's a it's a horrible process right um, and ripple comes along and says look there are a hundred different national currencies which means there's 100 times 99 divided by two is 4,500 uh, transaction pairs. There's lots of inefficiencies in that um, uh, foreign exchange mesh. And we want to just come in and instead of you going through SWIFT and dealing with the foreign currency transactions and multiple bank ledgers, buy our token. It's a poker chip. Everyone buys the poker chip. You trade the poker chip, it goes from bank A to bank B, it takes seven seconds and you're done. Okay, that's their value proposition. And that's appealing. I mean, that's why mm -hmm. Ripple is stuck around, despite all this other stuff like the SEC saying it's a security well, and all that. Uh, I mean, the what, Fed has operated for 110 years off the same premise. Of course. It, but, and, but that's a threat to the dollar, right? Because the dollar has been that intermediary token. Right that sits in between and people rather than have 4,500 exchange rates, they have one. What is my value next to the dollar? And right. the dollar is that stand in and the dollar gets exchanged through, through SWIFT because everybody needs dollars. So every bank in the world has dollars. And so that's the poker chip that you're using. So the U.S. doesn't like Ripple, and which is why the SEC went after him. It had nothing to do with, oh, it's a security or people mm -hmm. getting rich or anything. Like this is a threat to the dollar's use as a stand-in currency. Because they, they finally realize that like, okay, money has no value. It's your ability to communicate value that creates said value. And these guys have created a system that potentially creates more communication that works better for the users than what we have. And, but, but where I push back on like, oh, it has X amount of value, like, Yes, you and I can't go buy tokens or shares of the SWIFT network, but it gets used in almost every transaction out there or, or the high-level ones. So what, is there really any value in SWIFT other than the banks that you know have ownership in it or use it on a daily basis? It's like, look, SWIFT is kind of like a matchmaker, right? Is, right. There, is there any value in the website that matches up um, people to go on dates? Sure. I mean, the fact that you want to just go to bars and hang out and hopefully, you know, it's like play the lottery, mm -hmm. the right person, but matchmaking sites provide liquidity and mm -hmm. liquidity is incredibly valuable. So Swift, that process has value. Um, it's, it's not a physical type value, but matchmaking has a right. deal of value. The thing is that they're also a monopoly and monopolies get stale and they, they mm -hmm. don't upgrade their process. So this, process that they're using, which is to just send messages to different banks about who wants to exchange money and, and then the banks go off and do it. It's, it's really a dumb system. Right? Yeah. And, and that's kind of my point. And it was the reason for the question, because you know more behind the math, but to me, just simplistically looking at it, it's the same of what we have with a few more features that will eventually run into the exact same problems because the value is accruing to Ripple and the banks because their margins are going through the roof because their costs are going through the floor. And we know that CEOs are not passing down value to the lower end employees, which means the value of the network is not accruing 
to the consumer, the end user, they're, they're just not passing that cost save down. Yeah. Well, look at, here's what's coming, Kane. Um, think about Ripple and the SWIFT system, okay? That, mm-hmm. that, that role of being in the middle of every bank in the world and facilitating transactions is incredibly powerful. It's, it's, it's a big network in and of its, its own right. It's, it's SWIFT in the dollar. And now we've got Ripple coming in, but, but Ripple's probably not going to be the one that does it. Every major country wants to have their own central bank digital currency. So you have China, um, Europe, and the U.S., mm-hmm. all mostly Euro and China, vehemently competing to not make their own currency for the sake of making their own currency. They want their digital asset to be that stand-in and replace SWIFT and replace the dollar, Okay then that gives them control over the world banking system. Correct, and correct. All that, and every money, every bit of money is going to flow through that. And you're, we're going to see some big conflict when these central bank digital currencies start to get rolling because they all want to be that one dominant coin that even if it's not used for retail transactions, the one that sits is, as the center of the banking system to displace the dollar is the one is the one that's going to win, and they're going to fight really bad, right? Ripple's not in a good position here because it doesn't have a moat. CBDCs are going to come along and really um, squash Ripple, I think. And on that point, I think it was 2018, it may have been 2017, the Treasury released a report of basically the state of the digital banking system in the U.S. And it clearly outlines like what's missing, what's wrong, where it's going, a number of different models in there. It clearly outlines that we're five years behind. Facebook with uh, DM and Libra kind of woke the Fed up to fast track it obviously there's whatever is going on with ripple and the sec who who knows maybe they commandeer the thing and just rip and replace and put it in to catch up to china and europe and and those guys that have been faster and further along on the cbd front um the executive order basically said the same thing arguably that research that they're waiting for in the next 180 days has already been done three or four years ago they just have to go read it so maybe that fast tracks but Really, it was just kind of making that point and was just hoping to hear your side. And, and I think I share kind of what you said and, and agree with what you said about the difference between value and transactions. And they're two completely different things. And I don't understand why there's all the argument. Everybody kind of attaches to one thing. So that's fine. But true value is not speed and rate and number of transactions. Yeah. Look at, look at, you mentioned Libra. I want to, I want to focus on that. Okay. Look at the reaction to Libra by mm-hmm. governments um, and look at the reaction by governments to Bitcoin, okay? Night and day, right? Nobody, nobody went and had congressional hearings over Bitcoin. Libra comes along and says, hey, we're going to launch our own currency. And the world said, the governments said, you will never. Wait a second. You will, we will make sure you never do this. And why is that? Because Facebook had billions of users at its disposal and size matters. Network value is proportional to size squared. And Libra would have completely disrupted the global economy and and displaced every existing currency on earth. And they they absolutely were not going to tolerate that. Mm -hmm. You don't see that with Bitcoin because Bitcoin's probably not going to do that. Or if it does it, it does it really slowly. But I don't think it's going to do it at all. But that just that's Metcalf's law. That's the impact of Metcalf's law. Libra comes along, two billion users, huge implications, right? Overnight implications, um, and and a major threat, which is why that project got shut down right away. It would have been really ugly had it proceeded. 
I mean, and I'm going to send you a, a tweet and some stuff I put together on that front, but there was a great tweet back around the time. And, and that was one of those like fundamental points where back in the day when I saw it, I was like, wait a second, this is game on slash game over. Uh, the world's about to get hairy because when they had Zuckerberg up on the hill and they were grilling him, one of the senators or congressmen basically said, son, do you understand what you're doing? We use the dollar as a tool of war to weaponize it against other countries to make them do what we want. That's effectively what he said. Like, that's the bigger picture. When you change the messaging system that delivers value, you're also changing control structures around who gets to determine what the rules are and who gets to hold the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, Bitcoin's tiny still. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. asked, I think, earlier about like the adoption um, and, and, and the internet. And I've, I've been able to track internet adoption and Bitcoin adoption. Um, and those are important because you're not, on, you're not on the Bitcoin network if you're not on the internet network. Right? Mm-hmm. The internet saturation point right now is about 59%. Okay, so 59% of the world has internet access of some type. Bitcoin has to, has to be less than that because you can't you know, transact in Bitcoin without being on that internet curve first. It's really interesting if I look at the U.S., and this is based on surveys. Um, I back it up with a little bit of data. You can look at non-zero addresses in Bitcoin in that growth curve. But the U.S. and, and most developed countries were up to somewhere between 15 and 25 percent uh, ownership uh, in, in terms of retail ownership. And let's, let's call it 20, right? So that's U.S., U.K., uh, and, and a few other places. It's pretty small. Globally, however, adoption is less than 1%. And since Bitcoin's a global currency in the sense that it, it could be used globally on a global network and the internet's a global network, um, Bitcoin below 1% means there's a lot further that Bitcoin can go on that adoption curve. I mean, we're yeah. when people say we're still early, they are not kidding. We, we aren't at the halfway point. Um, even in development, like 96 to 2000, but probably it's, it's very, very early. I mean, it's, it's yeah, not even 96. I would think, (laughs) I mean, it's, I think I saw the last one I saw was maybe there's 400 million users. I'll have to look at the numbers. The traditional internet has like 4 billion users. You've seen the charts online. uh, Yeah. 5 billion, I think is the number that I saw for the internet. Uh, And for Bitcoin, it's, it's, you know, 1% of that number. Yeah. And, and so they've got that timeline and it's like, here's the internet trajectory. You are here, but in, you know, Bitcoin, but let's just call it crypto economy. And look, the best thing, so there are all these headwinds that are coming from the government. The best thing people can do is encourage other people to buy and hold Bitcoin. I mean, mm-hmm. even in small amounts, a hundred bucks, um, 50 bucks here and there, bring that adoption up and that value grows exponentially. It's, it grows at a rate of squared. So it's like it multiply it uh, by itself. The rule of thumb, so this is some of the math, is that f- it's a two to one trade-off, right? For, for 10% increase in users, you get a 20% increase in, in value, um, which usually translates into price, okay? So if you get a 30% increase in users, you get a 60% increase in price. So if we grow Bitcoin user base at 30% a year, you're going to see 60% a year mm-hmm. on your portfolio. And wh- like, where does that value come from? Well, it comes from the liquidity, the ability to exchange among more partners. Um, that's, that's what the network effect is. 
If nobody was on Facebook, it would suck. And if nobody used Bitcoin, it would suck. So it's the same principle there. Yeah. And, and so if you don't understand that and you said, wow, the, the math made my brain hurt, how much better uh, pre-2018 was your life with access to Facebook? How many relationships that had fell off into the past did you come back to rekindle? How much more did your communication between people that for whatever reason, it was a little bit more difficult to do by phone? or, you know, family members, maybe that lived across the world or in different states, How, you know, those were all real improvements. It's only in the latter years here recently, where argue, you could argue the decline of the network precipitated by decline of use and, and how we used it um, to negatively impact our lives. But that network of Facebook allowed more and different types of communication to happen than what previously happened. And I think that's the value of the crypto economy as it relates to money. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So Tim, I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Um, can you tell listeners where they can find more about you, your research, um, where they can follow you and those sort of things? Yeah, I have um, a couple of uh, accounts that I keep track of on, on um, Getter and Twitter. Um, you can find me at, at Kane Digital. Um, that's the go-to place. I also have a website. It's kane-island.digital. Um, that's C-A-N-E-island. Uh, Dot digital and that's got links to my getter and twitter uh, websites uh, i'm in the midst of of altering my my twitter profile right now so that'll be up in the next couple of weeks n squared macro is the new twitter handle but that's not that's not totally live yet it will be in about a week or two perfect well thanks for joining today and really appreciate the information you shared with us yeah thanks for having me